don't follow uh, a logo, a division perception, follow the best route to grow as an individual. We had to create a brand. Like we had to make something that our athletes wanted to take part in. World-class athletes, great coaches. What do they do when they're at their best? We don't take no for an answer. We don't take no for an answer. We don't take no for an answer. Leave no doubt tonight. Leave no doubt tonight. No doubt. We're gonna get him on the run, boys. Once we get him on the run, we're gonna keep him on the run. And then we're gonna go, 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 go. And we're not gonna stop until we get across that goal line. Now you kids are probably saying to yourselves, hey, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna get the world by the tail and wrap it around and pull it down and put it in my pocket. All right, we're jumping right into this one. Uh, I am really excited about today's episode. I have Coach Michael Silbernagel with us today. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing well, Brett. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. It's good to. I'm glad that we're like now meeting without. There's minimal interruptions or logistical issues. Whereas the last time I saw you, I think for the third time in one year, I was delayed in North Dakota. I cannot get out of your airport. I don't know if I'm ever coming back to North Dakota because that state, although the people are great, <laughs> is like a it's like a succubus. Hey, it won't let you out. Hey, you know we're we're attracted to greatness. Um, in, <laughs> in in my defense, it was actually Minnesota that caused the delay. Uh, it was the sunshine was was out in North Dakota uh, when you were here. You're essentially the same state. You know, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't. I know when I when I go out at night, like when we went out one night, and I've been there a couple of times. One when I was a GA, and we were playing uh, NDSU and things like that, and and then out to speak or connect with you guys. Uh, I went out one night, and I was talking to somebody, and I was like, I was single at the time, and I was a graduate assistant. I remember asking the waitress, I was like, where, like, where are all, where is everybody? And this woman's like, oh, you know, in North Dakota, you know, it's hunting season here, everybody's gone, and I'm like. I get where their boyfriends are at, ma'am. Where where are the girls? And she's like, oh, whether you're in North Dakota or Minnesota, when it's hunting season, everybody goes, not just the guys, don't you? And I'm just like, oh, Lord. And so I've had equally interesting experiences. And this is all, all of a sudden where everybody from North Dakota or Wisconsin like, unfollows me and starts picketing. <laughs> horrible Dale Lennon impersonation. But anyway, can you, do you want to give everybody a brief rundown on kind of your background and how we know each other? Uh, well, yeah, I guess a little bit about me. Um, I'm originally from the area here in North Dakota uh, with my wonderful accent. Um, my background, I guess, starts with you is is I actually uh, GA'd under someone that you worked with, uh, Jared Nesland, when he was at the University of North no, don't, Dakota. No, don't drop his name. Don't drop his name. Yeah, because if he is listening, he'll never admit it. Jared, if anybody knows Coach Nesland, you got to give him a heart. He's just like, oh, I don't do podcasts and clinics and I'm not doing this and that. So you can't name drop him. But uh, anyhow, that's how we first kind of got it. And then I went to Colorado State, uh, spent six years out there and have been here at the University of Mary uh, since January of 2011 um, when I, I started the department from scratch. What, what, what got you into the field initially? I think I was like most people. I uh, didn't even know what the field was. Um, just like to lift and wanted to make people bigger, faster, stronger, and uh, went into undergrad as athletic training. 
because that just made sense to me and then realized I was be taping ankles um, that didn't really fit what I thought athletic training was. Um, so it was, it was just kind of that passion of picking stuff up, putting stuff down at the beginning, and it evolved from there. One of the things that struck me, because you and I, we talked, you know, indirectly. And what I mean by that is whether it's social media or just mutual connections for a while before we met. But when I went out and I think you you were hosting the NSCA, NSCA State Clinic, what I what I really enjoyed about that is just how locked in, professional, seamless all that was. I mean, you you know, because you present too, like not many events are always well organized or if they are, the communication's just shoddy. But my, my first impression there was that your management kind of teaching and communication style were really on point. How would you describe the way you interact with others, whether it's personally, professionally, and what influenced that the most? Yeah, I think but before I get to that real quick, I, you know, it was, it was seamlessly when you came here because I had a lot of great people helping me out. Um, so I think first off, as a manager, you find great people to support you. Um, to me, it's about kind of preparing everybody for life. And I know that sounds like a corny statement, but if you can kind of get life in order, you can be a pretty good coach. And what I mean by that is understanding that there has to be harmony in what's going on. Um, something that my grandfather told me growing up is, is you can't get too far off kilter one way or another. So I think that's kind of where I come from at the beginning. But then talking about how, you know, I'm a demanding individual. I'm not afraid to, to keep the standard and set the standard where I feel it needs to be met. And that's probably from my, my farming background and having a dad who made sure that that was pretty clear. But at the same time, you know, being caring, passionate, and then having a hands-on component to where not only hands-on in terms of the traditional sense of, hey, you know, we're going to lift and we're going to demo and we're going to show athletes how to do all these things, but also hopefully hands-on in terms of helping an intern, helping a GA uh, to get them to understand, hey, here's my first program I ever wrote, and man, did it suck. So we've all kind of been there, and we've all gone through these struggles that you're about to go through. And when you say you're demanding, one thing that as I've continued to dive deeper into kind of just coach education, coach development, and the associated research, one thing they continue to say is one big issue is one reason we don't have coaches that typically think around fringe topics or complexity the way they should is because they tend to just get under, they learn under people that they say, okay, I'm going to coach the way this person coached, right? They mimic these people. So for that, when you're demanding, how did you find the balance between helping them grow organically as opposed to just having them do things that you did? You know what I mean? Like making sure that you're not just bringing them up the way, the way you had to do it and that you're actually giving them the tools and the challenges they need as opposed to those lessons being influenced by your the biases of your of your past. Well, Does that I, make sense? No, totally. I think at the beginning, I did make those mistakes. I think when I was first mentoring, I thought it had to be my way. Like they had to learn from my experiences and that didn't always end up being successful uh, to where the evolution now, and, and I guess with demanding is we have standards for how we want things to be here within our department. And I don't care how the individual coaches, I want them to be unique in who they are, but I want the standard to be held. And some of my past experiences may help with that. Some of them may not, but it's fun to watch them grow into who they are. Um, we don't do set weekly meetings. Um, I don't want set assignments. If someone wants to come into my office and talk shop, 
let's talk shop. If it happens to be a life concern to where they have things going on at home and outside of work, let's talk about it. Let's grab a coffee. Uh, my joke is, is if you want feedback or an opinion, just come into the office. If you want me to listen, bring me a cup of coffee because I know I'm just supposed to sit there and, and drink it. Um, but I, I think those different personalities also evolve uh, who I am, right? I got someone on staff right now who is about as quirky as you can get, but man, they can control a room. And the standard that we have set doesn't drop because of their personality. You know, we can have any different kind of music playing. It's not just, you know, heavy death metal, even though that's awesome. It doesn't have to be playing nonstop to set the culture and the tone of what the workout is. And I think those are things that have evolved over time. And then you point out those times where, hey, I know this mistake's going to happen. Right? You're, you're six months into this. This is where we start getting comfortable. Every individual, no matter who they are, is going to get comfortable at this moment, this moment, and this moment over their time. And it's just what mistakes you're going to make as to how I'm going to help fix them. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that is a complete answer. One thing that I wanted to build off of that, though, is how do you define your standards? And I ask this because, and I'm being critical here of our, of our field, but the point of this podcast is to kind of challenge some norms and, and just get all of us to think deeper. I, I find that a lot of times when people define their standards, it's always, well, you know, be, be a professional, be on time, do your job, be humble. And there's this ambiguity behind it. Like it's kind of just, it kind of feels copy and paste to me. Yeah. How do you define your standards in a way? Well, one, how do you define them in general? And then how do you do it in a way that's very specific where, you know, people understand what's being asked of them and more importantly, how they can even evolve those standards. Cause I would assume you're somebody that like, you don't want just people to follow these rules. You want them to help evolve your approach as they learn under you. Am I correct? So how would you, how do you define those? And then how do you, how do you create that kind of envi- environment or just kind of um, way of thinking? Well, I think uh, it first was started is, is kind of like what you said. It was just the, well, this is what we're going to do. And we evolved it because I was forced to by a sports coach. They wanted evaluation of athletes in terms of a, a color scheme. Right? Uh, are they red, yellow, green? And, and we're sitting at end of your meetings, and I'm like, I don't know how to answer this. Like, what are you looking for? And what I realized is he was also looking for the kind of culture that we were trying to create, but in a much more relatable way, or uh, I don't want to say scientific because it's really not, but uh, a concrete way in terms of having the same standard for everybody. So it, it starts off by simplistic things. What's going above and beyond what's doing the bare minimum and what's below that bare minimum so they can get constant feedback as to where we are as a staff, right? Continuing education or self-evaluate yourself. Are you reading every week? Are you listening to podcasts? Are you watching videos? Are you communicating with other coaches? Have you talked to the sport coach yet this week that you work with directly? Um, have you had any concerns or questions? Have you communicated those appropriately? Um, in terms of attire, you know, are you wearing our apparel? It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be tucked in. You're going to be demonstrating, etc. But uh, do you look the part in terms of what our staff, uh, lack of a better term, I guess, gear is, uh, which we make life easy because we supply that for our uh, coaches? Um, how you handle yourself in terms of communication? Are you someone that is always a day late, a dollar short in terms of getting back to someone with an email or a text message, or are you communicating appropriately? Uh, 
in terms of coaching in the room, are you facilitating or are you coaching? It's very easy to grab a clipboard, blow a whistle, clap a hand, whatever you want to do to, to make someone go through a workout. But are you actually giving feedback? Is it something that is, well, supportive, constructive, everything in between? Um, and then kind of the last overall blanket is no matter who walks into the room, would you want them to see what you're doing? You know, if, if uh, a future employer had a camera up in the corner of the room and they're watching you, is this something that you want them to see? And that's kind of what we've evolved to. I know it's not a huge set of a checklist type standards. They're very vague, but that vagueness allows us to evolve. Yeah, no, I think you can define them in the fact that you have it in a way that they're good to evolve. I think that's what matters most because I I know I've been guilty of it. There's certain operational standards you abide by, you get comfortable with, you think they work and they only work until they don't. And that's, that's inherent to kind of coaching as a complex process instead of something that's kind of, rational, knowable, sequential. Well, when you're dealing with people, that's always how that is, um, including yourself. So that, that's a f- phenomenal answer for the reasons and examples that you gave. You find a lot of ways to get creative despite, you know, being at a school that has a relatively small budget. You know, what what are some tricks that have helped you and your staff during the process of this ever-evolving process that you mentioned, continue to maximize those resources? How have you gotten creative? Uh, well, when it first started, uh, my staff was myself. I uh, joke around a little bit that I actually invented the selfie because it was my, my staff meeting, um, staring into the mirror. <laughs> but, you know, I think you something you've done a phenomenal job of is we had to create a brand. Like, we had to make something that our athletes wanted to take part in. They had never had a strength conditioning department before. They are walking around wearing other universities' apparel. They didn't understand that they were a walking billboard themselves. So the beautiful thing about being in the college setting is all the athletes doesn't matter the sport doesn't matter the gender are basically one connected group within our weight room and we started with simply just making uh t-shirts that had our logo on them and it was lucky because there was already a big logo in the weight room don't ask me why but there was and we were able to kind of market that and then as soon as we sold those things we took the money made off of it and put it right back into our facility so the athletes saw the instantaneous return, and now they realize that it wasn't just, you know, I say it jokingly for my truck payment. It was for their benefit, right? And then we started some summer camps to where rather than getting paid, we took that money and invested it back into the room to get it to the standard that we wanted. Uh, we did have some phenomenal boosters, but we, we used it in such a way that we didn't abuse it. Uh, one year they were phenomenal and bought us some bumper plates. The next year when they asked what we wanted, I, I wrote a letter saying, we appreciate everything you've done, but you know, you helped us last year, helped some others this year. Well, that put us into good graces for the following year. You know, We were able to get some more things. Um, in terms of the not fundraising piece, you know, we started creating that brand on, on social media platforms. For us, it started off as a YouTube page. You know, like I said, I was the only coach when we started we had athletes that were going home for the summer. I'd only been here a whopping four months. They had no idea what a back squat was compared to a split squat compared to a front squat. So we used YouTube to uh, put all of our exercises on there, like a, a evolving exercise index. Um, and we hyperlinked it into their Excel documents when they went home. So they just had to click on it. Now it's even easier because they got a bald guy, you know, short and stocky, who is demonstrating these things. And we still use them today from that piece of it. Uh, then our social media kind of evolved. 
it grew into, uh, as you mentioned, we started connecting even via Twitter uh, in terms of just reaching out initially. So we used that social media piece for a branching out aspect of just learning from other coaches, getting to know them. Uh, we weren't always able to go to conferences, so what could we do to continue that networking uh, aspect? And Twitter was a great way to do it. And then this last year, we evolved into uh, the Instagram uh, platform to where we've kind of made that our, man, lack of better term, a, a video term. newsletter to where every day we've got something yeah, else I on think, there. And, and to consolidate that, you know, I think, and, and, and correct me if you wouldn't agree, but you kind of run your program like a business, which sounds to some coaches, you know, some coaches are like, oh, that's not how I like to think of it. You know, we're not, you know, we're a service-based profession. Well, there are a lot of businesses that are service-based, right? There's a lot of things like non-profits out there and, and other companies that they're predominantly service-based, but running it like a business is kind of a, there's an operational efficiency behind it. And then, like you said, the branding piece is actually really critical and useful because that facilitates athlete engagement and athlete engagement, any form of elite sport or just in general is, is critical. If you want anything that you do to really stick, you know, and, and people can think what they want about, Oh, this medium, that medium, what have you. The fact is, I think the the data came out today and we're, we're talking on, I think it's November 14th, 2018 data came out today. I saw that Instagram stories has 300 million users, 300 million users. And so regardless of what you think about it, that that works. And I think that was impressive the way you've kind of adopted and adapted that early and, and really made it easy to kind of get everybody on board. Did the athletes, did they take to it well initially? Like, were they pretty like, okay, coach Silby, like we see what you're doing. Like, or, you know, was there, was there a period where that was a little bumpy and you had to figure out how to exactly shoot the videos or how to get it, you know, delivered to them in a certain way? Like what, what roadblocks did you deal with initially? Um, well, I think I was I was fortunate because our athletes were all over it right away. Uh, the challenging part is that, you know, when we first started, you couldn't take video on your iPhone. You know, so it was trying to figure out how am I going to take uh, video off of an RCA handheld type deal and put it into a format that looks cool. Um, and then not to plug them, but I'm going to iPhone made life easy with iMovie and everything else. Now everything's, you know, at the, the click of your button you can make things look respectable uh and then some the start of it of it i couldn't stand it right it was the hardest thing for me is i'm a coach i shouldn't have to be sitting here videotaping stuff uh putting it out there but then when you realized how that built into the buy-in and built into the brand from the student athlete perspective it was a really easy sell for me that we had to do more that we had to find a way to get creative that we had to uh take advantage of the opportunity of social media um, and invest more time into it to create a game plan that would be successful for all parties. And that's funny. I'm a coach, so I shouldn't have to do this. How many other professions do you think have said that over the years? You know, we have a down the, it's like, I'm a dentist. Why should I have to do this? You know, we're a hospital. Why should we have to tell people, you know, that we're the best choice for their healthcare needs or I, you know, I'm a business owner. Why should I have to do that? The reality is everybody's got to do that. It's just a story you tell um, and, and getting people aware of that. And so other than social media, have there been other different things technology wise that you've kind of that you've utilized that have been a huge kind of time saver for you? Um, I don't know about necessarily time saver, but I think uh, an efficiency aspect, which um, in terms of just teaching athletes a different way, using an iPad, using 
uh, you know, video for feedback to uh, show someone whether that's return to play or whether that's just something as simple as, you know, working on uh, technique. That's what these athletes are used to now. You know, they have huddle, they have everything at their fingertips in terms of instant video that they really thrive on that uh, ability to see some kind of coaching cue right now. And it doesn't have to be every single workout to where you're, you know, constantly uh, stuck to a, a phone or a, a tablet, but to where you can at least use it when need be to uh, get those services out uh, to make those things happen. Yeah, yeah, well said. So when you talked about that initially starting to use, whether it's social media technology, you know, there were some inherent frustrations that you mentioned, and I know the same was true with me. What are what are two other topics that you are kind of, and, and you can use this word however you want, but I'm just going to kind of say it straightforward, embarrassed that you don't know more about, you know, and that can be performance wise, that can be business, that can be anything. And it doesn't even have to be work related, but what are two areas outside of our traditional area of, of of expertise that you're like, man, I really need to, I need to invest more time in that. I think one that's coming as you've been in the business longer and longer is retirement. Um, it's not often talked about in terms of what do you need to do to save? What should you be saving? How much should you be putting away? Um, you know, as you're growing a family, etc. what is the difference between keeping a roof over your head and planning for the future? Uh, that's been kind of eye opening in terms of how little I actually did know about that um and then the other one off topic is and i lived in colorado for six years and everyone fly fishing or skiing uh and and I, I feel like i just missed the boat on two fantastic opportunities yeah no absolutely i i met somebody that uh the other day on a plane that he was just he was an avid fly fisher and describing that and that dude was just going in and and telling me all the intricacies of it now the the bad part is i was trying to sleep you know and i think he talked the whole five and an hour tri- half hour trip but now I feel like I need to, you know, buy a ticket to Montana. So regarding retirement, you know, and 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 you don't have to share this or what have you, you know, like prior to that or, or prior to even you diving into it a little bit more, had you been saving? Had you been investing? Like, if so, kind of what did you do? You know, and, and noting that anybody listening to this, like coach isn't providing investing advice, neither am I. We're just talking about a topic. So, um, but you know, what, what did you do and how have you kind of changed that approach to, to be more robust there? Uh, you know, I think it started like probably anybody, you know, got into my first job and they're like, Hey, we'll put this much into, to retirement. Do you want to match it? You know, or you're going to lose it. I'm like, well, you know, I'm a farm kid. It makes sense to match it. You know, it's, it's money there. And, uh, you just kind of wrote it, right? Like there was no checking into something and what stocks is it in? It was like option A, B or C. And you're like, which one's the safest? I'll take that one because I'm a young kid who's a chicken. And uh, now it's more so sitting down with a financial planner and, and looking at all my options and, you know, different times throughout the year, meeting up and going, should we be investing a little bit more monthly, uh, continuing to add to this portfolio, making sure it's diverse enough, um, and then taking all the other aspects into the equation and try to make the most educated guesstimate that you can at this point in time because you're, you're talking hopefully years out before this thing comes to an end. Yeah, hopefully. And I know you have an empire up there and I think they're building a statue of you from what yeah. I've heard, but have you like, have you thought worst case scenario? Like, you know, what if, what if we got fired or, you know, what if something happened with the university where there was, you know, significant funding cuts? Do you have like a backup plan? Do you have, do you have anything like that kind of ready to roll or is it still something that you feel like 
I've got to develop. I've got to think about a little bit more. And, and where I'm coming at that is like from a programming standpoint, right? We talk about beginning with the end in mind and working backwards. I think it's interesting. We don't we don't often really do that from a career standpoint. Yep. Um, well, I, I guess part of my thought process, obviously, number one is you want to do this as long as you can. But um, I've also got a, a teaching degree. Um, and uh, worst case, I shouldn't say worst case scenario, but to me, if it comes a time to get out of this profession, I have an opportunity to, to hopefully get into the uh, education system and, and work from a teaching standpoint. Um, or, you know, I could go back on the farm and see if that let me work some cattle. And is that something you even talk to your staff about? You know, have you obviously you want them to focus on the job at hand. You're not going to sit down with them and, you know, say, hey, we got all these athletes to take care of and, and we need to make sure we're on on point here. I know that's going to take the foremost, but like as a staff education or even, you know, an off day, like, is that something you have in your curriculum? You've been talking to them, even if they are an intern or, or a first year coach, do you ever just say, hey, like, because I think there's some naivete there. I think first year coaches are kind of, all they want to do is showcase their grind and this and that. It's been a topic we've kind of hammered on this podcast a little bit, but I'm interested, like, do you think that is your responsibility or our responsibility to, to discuss with those kind of learning under? I think you need to make them aware of it. Awesome. And that's where I actually do use one of my experiences. I mean, I was 27 years old uh, and the football coach got let go where we were at. And I had a six month old kid. And I remember getting told in the tunnel before we played a football game, that Hey, last night, you know, coach a got let go and uh, it's going to be an interesting next few months. And I'm going, I have no connections. Uh, 27 in this field. I've got a six month old. Uh, okay. Like I was, I was lost. I was shell shocked and I want to pass that kind of information onto my staff of, we got to make sure that we understand how things can unfold and change quickly. Uh, and that kind of goes back to that, you know, trying to prepare them for life statement that I made early yeah, on. I, it's, it's something that can definitely be, it's shunned. People don't like to talk about it, but I do think, and and I'd, I'd like your take on this as well. I do think that if people aren't thinking about kind of the end of their career, even when they're maybe still in the beginning of it, what have you, if they don't have some kind of idea, worst case scenario, contingency plan, whatever in place, I think that impacts your coaching. Because I think that naivete, like kind of, it may not at first, because at first you're just kind of rolling off the high of I'm coaching, I'm in this, I love the profession, like I got free gear, I'm lifting, like this couldn't be better. But then eventually you kind of hear uh, it's kind of like you hear one ghost story and you're like, ah, I don't believe that, you know, and that ghost story in this example could be like, man, somebody had to leave the field or somebody had to do this. Then you hear another ghost story, you know, maybe this time somebody, you know, their contract, something was goofy with it. And yeah, that won't happen to me. But then you start hearing enough of them and you're like, all right, uh, maybe I believe in ghosts and bad analogy there. But the point being, if people aren't thinking about that stuff, do you think it can affect how they go about the job, even the level of cynicism they have towards the field or, their ability to focus on long-term things that are, are, are good for their family so they can continue to serve others? Yeah, I think it's human nature, right? Whether we're talking about uh, this field or just life, you know, how many times do you have someone that you care about that you uh, don't interact with enough and then all of a sudden they're, they're suddenly gone? Um, I think that's just kind of the human nature element of things as we don't realize uh we, we live in the now so much we don't realize how it can affect our future while at the same time I 100% agree with you that as we continue to get going in this 
the cynical nature uh, is the only direction that really can happen because of the unknown, because of what we want to keep uh, to ourselves as you start hearing these ghost stories, as you say, of people that we may know uh, no longer in the profession, and all of a sudden you're kind of the only one left in the room. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think, you know, I always like to bring the listeners into this because, you know, I want them to be active participants in the podcast. But any of you listening to this, it brings up an interesting thought. Like, I'd love you guys to email info at Art of Coaching with with things that have kind of scared you on that front or what strategies you guys have used. You know, if you haven't thought about it or even if you have a story where you're like, hey, I didn't think about it. And and then this happened, like I'd be interesting in those. It'd be interesting to discuss kind of those case studies and and see what you've done. <laughs> because if you look at it, and I think this, I'm double checking my, my source here. Yeah. Fidelity says that like by age 30, you know, you should have one times your salary recommended savings, right? And all these figures I'm about to go through are recommended savings by Fidelity. And just like any research article, right? We can always find a point counterpoint. So there's going to be other resources out there that may say different. This is just general. Um, they say by age 35, we should have two times our salary saved by age 43 times, it goes all the way up by age 60, you should have eight times your salary saved. And so I get it. And we've talked about it a little bit in the past that none of us get into this field for the money, but the numbers are really objective and in your face that money still does matter in this field. And that's a realization that you come to, I think maybe different differently for everybody. But for me, once I didn't just have a crock pot to support, but I actually had a wife, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, like, I can't run around saying money doesn't matter because one, that devalues our field, which is the point of a future episode. I think a lot of what we do devalues our field and makes people think they can't pay us. And two, it's just not reality. I mean, how many of you out there are coached? Do you, I know I'm, I'm 32 right now when we're discussing this, when it comes out, I'll be 33. I do not have currently two times my, my salary saved up, especially cause I'm self-employed. So a lot of my annual salary goes right back into the business or buying new training stuff for athletes that I work with or anything like that. Like, are you on point with all those numbers? No. Like, no, four, like how old are you coach? I'm 38. 38. Uh, yeah. So by 40 saying three times our salary, we have to have in savings. That's great. You know, and, and that's like, that's conservative. That's what they recommend. Yeah. I think it's, it's something that, like I said, it's, it's something you don't think about enough, right? Cause you're, you're never looking in the future. You're living in the now. At least, that's, at least that's been my problem. You know, I'm, I'm worried about making sure I have enough coffee in the coffee pot. <laughs> and no doubt. Well, and again, like it's a service-based field. We're worried about athletes and all those things, but it goes, it, it's full circle. Like if you can't, if you go home and you can't afford certain things or you can't provide certain things, like you're coming to work and you're not your best self. You know what I mean? You're not getting the sleep you need. You've had arguments with your significant other because things are getting tight. And then you're supposed to go pour all this emotional energy into other people and inevitably, that's that's kind of what research shows the cycle of burnout leads to, like the sense of emotional exhaustion. It has nothing to do with commitment. If anything, it's 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 over commitment. And it's something we talk about, like in, in an online course that that we have on artofcoaching.com, but it's definitely uncomfortable. So moving on from that, you know, things that you had been embarrassed about, things that you probably haven't invested enough time in. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. In order for us to move forward as a field, are there strength coach kind of cliches that you think need to be put to rest? Like things that maybe you've heard on a lot of podcasts or, and this isn't disrespecting any of these coaches, right? But like, just 
what's what's really bad advice you keep hearing people give to others? Oh man, <laughs> where do I start? Um, I, I think Anywhere for me, the, the first one is the statement of pay your dues because it's said with such a blanket meaning that you, you take that for what you want to, right? Like what does paying your dues mean? Like I'm supposed to wipe the underside of the benches and make sure that no one's stuck gum underneath them. Um, or does it mean, you know, you may have to grind as a graduate assistant to get your master's degree uh, moving forward. I think there's a true drastically different routes yet that pay your dues blanket statement covers both of them. Uh, where I think one, you know, yeah, come on, man. I don't think you cleaning the underside of my bench press is really beneficial to your career path where I do think getting a master's degree paid for and learning how to coach in the, in a system is very beneficial. Uh, so that's one kind of statement that I, I wish wouldn't be said anymore uh, because it also starts a wildfire, right? You either agree with that statement or you disagree. It, it, it creates a divide between between people in terms of, of what it is. Um, the the other cliche piece, I guess, or, or thing. It's good. Think, I mean, think on it. You don't have to answer quick. That's the point of these kind of – that's the, that's the value of this, right? Like not scripted, just thinking about it. So take your time. I say it with a little bit of it's going to come across uh, maybe the wrong way and I hope it doesn't, but I wish more people would say, go to a place where you're going to have the chance to learn, go to a place to where you're going to get to evolve your craft. I don't care if that's uh, yeah. private setting, collegiate high school, you name it. Don't follow uh, a logo, a division perception, follow the best route to grow as an individual. Yeah. And a lot of people then follow that up. I find when I give, cause I give the same advice and I think it's good advice, but then they say, well, how do I know what's best for me? And it's like, well, usually what I say is, listen, you can discern that, you know, what, where do you feel like you need more upskilling? And if you, if you can't identify those things, if you don't know where you need to have more upskilling or, or those things like that, that lends itself back to like, well, you got to do some deeper thinking and diving into where you're at and assessing, you know, your needs. But I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, both with my experience at Southern Illinois, like that being able to coach and as much as I did and do all that was huge. And then even though I was told like, don't go private sector, the bottom line is that was the only job that that was open after I had applied and, and all these other things for other positions. And I like I don't think I would have been the coach without it because it taught me so many different things and I had to coach different groups rapid fire. But at the same time, it's that blend. If somebody's like, what, what, what's one thing you credit to you being able to grow? I'm like, it was the blend. It's not it's not following the logo. It's not doing all the things that you said. Did you did you ever kind of go down that path at one time? Did you ever think that you had to be at a certain place at a certain university or in a certain role? Like, did that ever get the best of you? Wholeheartedly. Uh, the majority of my career. You know, small town kid wanted to prove people wrong. Like every step of the way, it was all, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and in some ways, that may have been beneficial to me in terms of the mindset I had. In some ways, it may have hurt me in terms of I missed opportunities that uh, presented themselves because I was chasing something bigger. Uh, but I think as I evolved uh through this aspect of a coach and, and marriage and fatherhood and all that fun stuff, 
I got to where I'm at now. And, and to me, it's the destination became as a result of the process, just like what you said. I wouldn't have had the thought process I had now had I not done what I did. Yeah. And we've talked a little bit about advice to give, you know, coaches earlier in their careers and stuff. But a lot of coaches listening to this could be 10, 20, 30 years into it. Where do you think they're lacking? You know, even though knowing that some people listening to this are way smarter than you and me combined and, and have done more for the field than we have and, and whatever else. But, you know, it's just if you were going to be critical and, and you're talking to a friend that, you know, has years in the game and is killing it. Like what, what advice do you think even more veteran coaches aren't following that maybe they give to others and they're not they're not listening to themselves? It, and, and guys, wh- whatever his answer is to this, like take it as a discussion, right? Like. We're, this is like if we're in a room and we're like, all right, guys, there's five of us. We've all been in the game a bit. Let's call bullshit. What are we still doing wrong? Right. This is the tone that it should be in. So don't don't get weird or offended, like engage in the discussion and write in with your own thoughts if you want to voice your opinion. But, Coach, what, what would you say? Not taking enough time for ourselves. You know, yeah. everyone you, you said it were a service based profession and we invest all we can. Um but how much time do we take to go on vacation? I mean, I got married and the next day I was working a sports team. Um, and that's not something I'm bragging about. That's something I'm looking back on going, why didn't I ask for the day off? And it, but we have bragged about that in the past, yeah, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, wholeheartedly. And now it's to the point of, man, and it wasn't the guy I was working for that was the problem. I didn't even ask. Right. Because I was like, ah, I'm, I'm above this. Like my my new wife understands my field and my profession and and whatever else. And uh, it, it for me, it hit home, Brad, when when I was at Division one and I came home one time and I was actually at home and a friend came over to, to watch a, a NFL game. And my son is is three answers the door and he's like, oh, where's dad? And my kid points the TV. And you sit there and you go, you know, that's something that really, I mean, you want to talk a a sock to your stomach, right? Like you're thinking you're doing this for them. And uh, so that to me is is something because guess what? Now we try to go on a family vacation. We try to, I'm not saying I'm perfect and I've I've come out of this uh, all about my job mentality that a lot of us still have. But I do try to take time uh, for them at a much higher level. Right now, I'll be picking my sons up from school here uh, shortly uh, because that's now something that's important to me. Yeah, that would hit. I, I can relate to a degree in that when my wife and I got married, you know, we I had saved up a bunch of money and she had been just a ride or die person through and through. So I wanted to we really value travel like we don't spend much on material things, but like travel is something we value. And so. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to, I, we both really want to go to South Africa. So I redeemed every airline point that I had. I redeemed just all this stuff. And we went and I only scheduled it for four days because I couldn't be gone that long. You know, not, not because I couldn't. I mean, there was a combination of that, but also like just wasn't allowed to. And I remember recounting that story one time and like it was kind of hard to not tear up. Um, when I decided to go out on my own, I was wondering, you know, I was telling somebody why I did that. And I just remember... I just had to go out on my own at, at this point in time because I remember that experience and I don't want to have to choose between my wife and that. Like, I, I don't think there's ever perfect balance, but I do think there's better cohesion than that. And we talk about sacrifice and the sacrifices we make, which is a questionable term in general. But like, 
nod, huge nod to the significant others out there, male, female, whatever, like they're really the ones that have to come front and center even before our athletes because they empower us to to do what we're going to do. And I'll go as far as saying this. I applied for a crazy high annual fee credit card one year and, you know, I pay it off every month. So if you're like a Dave Ramsey guy, spare me. Um, I'm joking, but like we paid off. But the reason I did it is because it came with this fourth night free thing where it says, you know, any hotel is many times a year. If you stay three nights, we'll cover your fourth night free. So even if you stay at like kind of a mid tier like hotel, you're going to get the money back for that annual fee easily. And we did, you know, like we, we have every year, but the point is I applied for that because if I don't, if my wife and I don't commit to taking at least four days for ourselves a year, I know that not only am I a crappy husband, but I'm going to have to forfeit that annual fee, you know? And so it's almost kind of like what you hear when you, uh, people, they make bets and it's like, if you lose, you've got to donate to the, to the political party that you hate or whatever. Like, <laughs> I did that. Like I take a huge sock in the wallet if I can't, if I can't prioritize that. And that works for me. It's not going to work for everybody, but knowing like, Hey, we've got to do this not only because we should, but because it's going to rip money out of our pocket if we don't. And it's, we've probably got three to four times the value of that card back every year. Hey, I got a strength and conditioning department you can donate to if you don't make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'll make sure, but I like you. So that wouldn't be, I'd want to do that anyway. Um, No, but I think you hit the nail on the head there and you know, it's, I think that feeds into the question I was going to ask, but you hit like, what's that common? We always ask what's good advice, but it's like, no, nah, what's, what's good advice that you should, or what's advice that you should actually ignore? Would you say it fits into that still? Like, do you think people should ignore this kind of self-sacrificial martyrdom thing that you've got to do this to be the best? You've got to, like, whatever happened to just, no, nah, you got to do good work and probably be good to people and be patient and be creative to be the best. You know, what, what do you think is advice they should ignore? Well, I'm going to branch out a little bit, but maybe stuff that doesn't apply to them at that time of their life. You know, there's so many things that apply to me differently now, you know, being in this for 15 years that apply to a uh, first year GA. You know, we've got so much information that, you know, I'll date myself. There was no, you're talking like interlibrary loan to get some books and stuff like that back in grad school versus, now you have everything on your fingertips uh, with your phone. Being able to decipher what really needs to be known is also part of it. You don't have to be a perfectionist six months in to the profession. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, I, I think for anybody listening, think don't just ask people what, hey, what advice you have. I'd actually say what advice you think I should ignore. This is a pretty interesting question for a lot of reasons, but that that can get whittled down and, and locked in. All right, so let's talk about this. We've talked about planning. We've talked about adapting, evolving contingencies. Inevitably, when we step into new roles, leadership roles, you're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to get caught off guard. I mean, I had one of those shit storm days yesterday where like I went to bed feeling pretty defeated and I was not caught off guard by stuff, but just more so overwhelmed because of my lack of ability to, I don't know, manage time effectively and delegate, which was also constricted by other things that happened. Um, when you get overwhelmed or caught off guard, what are some strategies that you use to get back on track that kind of go beyond just like good time management? You know, even when that fails, like what do you do when you're overwhelmed? How do you cope with that? Uh, well, for, for starters, it, it's a continued work in progress. Um, a couple of years ago when that first Avengers movie came out, um, 
one of my athletes came in and, and asked me about it and was like, Coach, do you watch it yet? And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, there's this part where Bruce Banner, they're like, so what do you do to get angry so fast? And he's like, oh, you know, the key is to, to always be angry. And they're like, we thought of you. And right away, I'm like, sweet, I'm the Hulk. And then I realized <laughs> they meant that I was always angry. Um, but it, it did allow me to take a step back. And I I kind of go back to my roots now. I, I start thinking like a farmer. Um, my dad taught me growing up that very seldom does plan A work out. Yeah. You know, you have to have a plan A, B, C. I mean, I remember on days that we were on like double Z and I'm like, how could I have crossed all this stuff off? Cause it didn't work the way I wanted it to. And uh, that's been something that's really allowed me to go, you know what, this isn't working, but the next thing might, Yeah, not the next thing will, but it might. Um, and that's allowed me to kind of take a deep breath in those moments and uh, count to 10. So to yeah, speak. not get too into that. And so I think when we think of coping strategies, there's a lot of different things, you know, and, and, at the time of us talking, you know, mindfulness is always a huge thing people talk about. Ironically, like I'm not really the meditating type. Like if I am, that's got to be hiking or when I'm boxing, kind of hitting a heavy bag. It's I find that even jump roping in this kind of harkens back to to me boxing. I had a coach that we'd have to freaking jump rope for like an hour, three days a week, you know, at, at at our practice, quote unquote. But anything kind of rhythmic and active and and low to moderate intensity is always really kind of I don't know meditative for me, but you know, let's imagine you're in that day, you've gotten overwhelmed, you're caught off guard, you failed at a lot of stuff. And it's just been a full day of nothing but coaching groups, admin, putting out fires, you're about to walk out the door and you don't want to take that kind of baggage home and you still need to train. What are you doing when you're like, all right, I got 15 to 30 minutes. That's about all I can pour into this. What What are some things you're doing? What's that training session look like? Just one example. Hey, one example. I'm a former power lifter. So to me, it's lift heavy stuff. Right? It's, even if you got 15 even minutes? Even if I got 15 minutes. It might be one movement. It might be finding a way to to get that just release real quick and leave. Um, but that's also evolved to where uh, I now have a little setup in my basement with a TRX, some bands, and an Airdyne bike. And I'll tell my kids, hey, give me 15 to 20, and I'll bust out some interval training um, on that Airdyne, and I'll hit a little push-pull kind of nonstop circuit with the TRX and the bands and I'll walk out with a smile on my face. Yeah. Give me 15 minutes and I'll be a better dad. Talk to you soon. Like I'm (laughs) even last night, like it was 1030. Again, I had one of those days and there's sometimes where, you know, I'll, I'll do what you did one exercise or even just a big three. And then there's sometimes where I've learned to just chill out a little bit and do whatever the hell I feel like, you know, like even if it was just kind of a GPP 30, 30 circuit and I'm like, all right, I got the strongman sandbag. Um, I got a Versa pulley so I can do, you know, uh, like a rotational row here. I can do, you know, some kind of press or TRX foot elevated push up if I don't want to get a lot of equipment out, you know, and I can do a sled push, whatever, you know, or even like a Versa climber. But so what I found is sometimes I was going down the rabbit hole of every time I trained, it had to be perfect written down periodized. And I think I, I think I quit being so obsessive about that when life demanded that. You know, I still look at every week and I'm like, all right, I know I've got to clean. I know I've got a squat. I know I've got to pull. But there's also got to be days where you just go out into the garage or go do whatever the hell you feel like and say, you know what? I checked it off because I think in our field, like we have a tendency to continue to prepare like we are getting ready to always compete, compete, whether it's going to lift mm-hmm. with another strength staff or what have you. And then I looked one day and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be stronger than the average dude for sure. But I also want to be active at 80. And I, I don't know if the way that I always used to train and how obsessively I always used to train lended itself to that. So 
there's times where like if I get off an 18 hour flight to China, I'm probably not going to squat for the 24 hours out or back squat after the 24 hours. And Dan Baker and I talk about that, like after a long trip, probably not squatting or deadlifting for 24 hours. I might go do a dumbbell complex in the quote unquote fitness center and then do some treadmill sprints. But you've got to be adaptable. Do you not? Oh, wholeheartedly. Uh, in the summertime, I like having, we got tires out here, uh, prowlers, and we got hills in North Dakota. So those are kind of my go-tos in the summertime. Wintertime, uh, not so much. Yeah, play the long game there. What's one thing that you go from a training standpoint, again, that you used to believe in wholeheartedly, like nobody could convince you otherwise, that you look back now and you kind of laugh. You're like, wow. You know, not, not that it was dumb, but just maybe it was even the way you thought about it. But is there anything that you can hit on that? Yeah, that we had to uh, – I had to clean one day a week, snatch one day a week, and push jerk one day a week. Clean, snatch, jerk, uh, snatch and push like, jerk. Yeah. You know, like it was just – you had to do the three Olympic movements. Like Which is interesting you said you were a former power lifter. Yeah, I know. It's it's <laughs> ironic. Um, whole, whole different level. But, uh, you know, to where now, you know, even with my athletes – we've taken some of those movements out and focused on getting really good at one of them. Yeah. You know, rather than being mediocre at all three, let's get really good. We still go from the hang or from the blocks, or from the floor, or, you know, full power, or however you want to work at it. But um, something when I first started coaching, I thought, no, you know, one day you have to do a clean variation. The next day you have to do a snatch variation and then you have to do a push jerk variation or the program's faulty. Yeah, especially because we get these books that tell us, you know, here's how the Soviets did it or here's how somebody else did it. And it's like, I don't know if it's in science and practice, I got to do this. Or if it's in, and it's so many people miss the forest for the trees. Like that book is not necessarily telling you, you need to replicate their programs. They're showing you principles in which they're based upon. Right. And it's interesting because coaches will just keep buying more and more training books, more and more training books, more and more training books. And, and it's like, they just love being told what to do. And it's like, mm, like man, come on. Like, you learn so much about this, not only just through reading the books, but actually going out and doing it yourself. Like I learned so much more about periodization 12 years in the game when I started traveling more, you know, cause when I was in the collegiate side as a GA, you know, you travel on rotating weeks, but not a ton. And even when you did travel, it was, it was a bit different, right? It was usually local or national travel. Um, when I first started in the private sector though, that's when I really started hitting a ton of international travel. Last year I hit, 42 flights of nine hours or more. And then you start realizing some things you used to program in the past. You talk about how travel impacts performance and we research it and we know it, but I don't think a lot of coaches always really feel it. There is nothing like getting off of a nine to 18 hour flight and being like, oh, maybe I'm not adapting my athletes programs enough, even though they're not hitting those flights. Like it's all relative to them. Some of them, you know, have other interpersonal stressors that they don't deal with as well as you do. Cause they're not as, you know what I mean? They're not as old or they don't have the resources. And so I just started realizing I wrote some training sessions in the past that probably downregulated a bit for travel, but not as much as I should have, or just maybe not as creatively as I should have, you know, like when you travel, yep. do you, what are, what are the things that you notice that you're like, what would you not pay enough attention to? What were situations where you felt like, all right, I need to spend a little bit more time on this and maybe I should be doing that for my athletes as well? Uh, we've wholeheartedly taken that concept with our athletes, especially since our conference is spread out and we're not on a plane, we're on a bus. 
So we've actually built in down-regulated weeks based off of our home or away schedule and where those away games are. Um, if we're playing at home, we might be a little bit more aggressive, whereas if we're on the road, we're coming back, and some might actually look at it as like a deload week on paper, but you're in a 12-hour bus ride being contorted uh, no matter what your size is, those things aren't comfortable for 12 hours. Uh, most yeah. of the time we're dehydrated, right? Because we don't want to push fluids when we have one of those little shared bathrooms with, you know, 50, 60 individuals. Uh, yeah. So those are things, malnourishment, you're stopping at a gas station and you're cheap. So you're just going for the, the quickest option rather than the best option are all things that we've now kind of looked at uh, and how we adapt that to our student athletes training. I think that's huge. And anybody that wants to kind of dive a little bit more into the travel adaptation side of things, my friend David Joyce, I'm with at the time of this recording, is with the Greater Western Sydney Giants, does some tremendous work out there. And David is a warm, erudite, compassionate guy that is is awesome. Be respectful of his time, but reach out to him if you want to learn more on that side because he's awesome. Coach, as we wrap up, and you've touched on a number of things, I mean, from defining your standards, the myth of kind of paying your dues and other cliche pieces of advice, the difference between facilitating and coaching. One thing I still kind of want to know is, you know, they say write the book that you want to read. What is the book you feel that nobody in our field has written yet that theoretically you would like to read or write? Like where, what, what is that book? Where do you feel like we're still not kind of diving into enough? It's uh I'm going to joke about it because one of my former GAs actually told me I need to write a book that's called Shit They Don't Teach You to Book. What would be in that? Um, I I don't – but I don't know if we talk enough about the practical aspect of things. That science is the foundation, but everyday life is going to change those things. You mentioned some of it, you know, sleep, stress, hydration, uh, all of those aspects. Not being afraid uh, to make a change. Like so often, I know as a, as a coach, sometimes you put things down, well, it's on ink, I can't change it. I don't want to admit my fault. Uh, how do you deal with coaches or personalities? You know, those are being not being married to a uh, philosophy, but being based in principles to where you can work with more individuals in a non-confrontational way while both parties still getting what you want out of it. Yeah, I'd agree. And even just something that compels people to do the work themselves as opposed to read it. I remember, you know, I wrote Conscious Coaching for a reason. I was tired of communication and leadership books that just talked about, you know, things and fortune cookie sound bites. Like, care about your athletes, understand the other person. Like when we did the archetype, when the archetype section, it had to be not only what they were, but how to identify them, how to communicate with them. I, you know, strengths and weaknesses, mistakes to avoid, like getting really tactical And even after that, I was like, all right, I want to get more tactical. So I put out the field guide, just this free PDF. But then coaches still like sometimes will read that stuff and not like commit to it. So I'd even add on to what you're saying. And I think that's a great point. Like shit, they don't teach you in books, but like stuff you're not going to do just by reading a book. Like put your butt in a chair and write down and create an action plan and commit to that, you know, and, and get things like stuff. This book won't teach you Uh, how to put this into practice, how to do that. You know, ask yourself tough questions. It's it's interesting. I do think you should write that book, but what would be the cover of that book? <laughs> oh man, it'd probably just you know the North Dakota landscape, the the baked potato. <laughs> Listen, you're gonna need to take before every, before we sign off. You gotta tell them the baked potato story because this was this was the indelible part of North. And Coach likes to riff on me because he's like, oh, you're a private sector guy and whatever. And so 
I get my own jokes in at him, but why don't you tell me the, the baked potato story there and how it's representative of the the folks up there in Nodak country? It was, it's a meat and potato story, right? I mean, it's uh, we went out to eat that night and, and I had a steak and a phenomenal loaded baked potato that uh, I think they carved the insides out of and loaded up with about a pound of bacon, uh, covered it up Easily. with cheese and then put more bacon on top. I mean, it was it was every strong man's piece of beauty. The best part of that is you can imagine this waiter comes back. I'm just watching coach crush this, right? And the guy, the waiter comes back and he's like, can I get you anything else? And I'm like, listen, like, is this like the old 96er where he gets a t-shirt for finishing, you know, that, that baby essentially. And he goes, buddy. And he looked at me deadpan in the face and there was a long silence. And he goes, this is North Dakota. We don't give t-shirts for baked potatoes. And just like dropped the metaphorical mic and walked away. I'm like, good Lord. Why? I think that that is a good representation, though, of the advice you gave. You know, you look at the meat and potatoes and you say, OK, it can be served different ways. We can adapt it, but it's always going to kind of cover your bases and, and all those things. And is there anything that we didn't cover that you've just been kind of burning to share or that you think that you'd you'd like other people to know either about the work you're doing up there, how they can connect with you or anything else? coach? Uh, I think the easiest way is is. They can connect with us either on social media um, at you Mary Strength on Twitter uh, and Instagram, um, and I'll make sure that you get my contact information for emails, etc. Perfect. Well, thanks again for the time, and guys, don't be hesitant to reach out. Just again, make sure you respect everybody's time. Be specific with your questions. Uh, Coach Silby is a wealth of knowledge, and he shares, and I think that's something that more of us got to do. Your opinions are always welcome, guys. Make sure to visit artofcoaching.com. We're creating more member forums, things like that, where you guys can kind of voice what you're struggling with, what you, what you kind of want to connect on, and, and how we can continue to make the community and craft of coaching more robust. Coach, thanks again for your time. 